We said in our first session that the most important thing about us in terms of our identity is that we are loved. That we are loved by our Father and our relationship with God our Father defines everything that really matters about us. Yeah? Um, Everything else flows from there in our understanding, in our identity. And um, he um, so passionately loves you that he runs towards you. He waits for the slightest turn because you'd gone your own way and you were doing your own thing and you were living life under your own authority. But it, when, the, when you made the slightest turn towards him, he ran to you and he embraced you and he restores you. He restores you in relationship. And he loves you so much that while you were still a sinner, he died to pay the price for your sin and to deliver you out of your sin, to rescue you. Sin, remember, is living under your own authority. Sin is living outside of his lordship, of his rule and reign. So when we talk about entering into his kingdom, it basically means turning away from living under my own authority and committing myself that I'm going to bow before him. He's going to be my ruler. He's going to be my Lord. He's going to reign in every area of my life. And actually, I want his reign to fill the whole earth. I want his kingdom to fill the whole earth like it always was supposed to do. So really, becoming a child of God, becoming a son or a daughter of God is about a kingdom partnership. It's about saying we are part of God's kingdom as his sons and daughters and we labor together with our father in his business. We're not trying to earn his approval so that um, he won't be mad at us, but actually we already have his favor. We already have his approval. So he's not waiting to crush us and we're trying to be like hired servants that are trying to please him enough not to get told off by him. But rather, it completely changes our way of thinking that our relationship with him is he's pleased with us, he's for us, he loves us, but he wants to bring about a work of transformation in our lives to enable us to be all that he's called us um, to be. And um, it looks like that. Um, So, um, this session is all about We've said the most important thing then is love. It all begins in our understanding that God um, loves us and that that actually produces a change in us. And when we talk about being compelled, we can talk about being compelled by love. Yeah. So it's actually in the new covenant, it's not that actually there's now a lower standard of righteousness. It's not like God decided it was too difficult. He was asking too much, so we'll make it a bit easier and I'll put up with a little bit of sin for the sake of having a relationship with them. No, it's all about us being transformed. And actually, we are still compelled. It's just that we're not compelled by a law. We're compelled by love. And it's our love for him and our hunger for him. It's our hunger for his kingdom. It's our hunger for his rule and his righteousness that drives us, that compels us, that makes us want to serve him. So this is um, our final session then, living a love-led life. Okay? Living a love-led life. Um, So Romans 8 Disappeared from my Bible for a minute. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For those 
who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Remember we made a connection between the Holy Spirit and love because the Holy Spirit is God and God is love. And um, those who are led by the Spirit of God. You see, when we talk about being led by the Spirit of God, we're not talking about being led by a theory or a power or a force, you know, like Luke Skywalker. Um, We're talking about being led by a person. The Holy Spirit is a person who loves you. Who loves you because he's God. Yeah? So I know he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but all of God does all that God does. Okay? All of God does all that God does. So if, the Holy, if Jesus is doing something, the Holy Spirit's in it and for it. It's not like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that if I were you, Jesus. <laughs> Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share also in his glory. Okay, so the Holy Spirit does a work in our lives and a massive part of that work in our lives is to enable us to live in our identity as children of God. So this whole thing about being heirs of God and and partners with him, the Holy Spirit is making that possible in our lives in a way that the law was never able to do. So living under law, living under a written code was never able to produce the kind of transformation in our lives where we could live as God's children. Yeah? Live in relationship with him. Live in a love relationship where we were hungering and thirsting. If you remember, the prophet said, in the new covenant, what God's going to do, he's going to take that line, he's going to put it on your heart. He's going to change your heart. He's going to motivate you from the inside. So this is what we're seeking to live, a life that is driven, that is compelled by love. Okay? Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Can I just say, by the way, just before we... um, um, look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, on Romans chapter 8 um, that we just mentioned, um, you might remember it said at the end there, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. Just want to clarify something for us because what we believe we established last night is so important. We don't believe that sickness ever comes from God. We don't believe that sickness ever comes from God. We don't believe it's God's will for anybody to be sick. But we do recognize that God allows us to experience the brokenness of this world. Okay, so there are things in this world that are not of God. They're as a result of the brokenness, the fallenness of our world. So sin entered into our world. And because of sin in general, not necessarily an individual's sin, but because of sin in general, there is sickness in our world. And actually, when we go through suffering in this world... We share in the sufferings of Christ. So Christ suffered in order that the world might be restored to God. And God 
allows us to experience this overlap where it's not all done and dusted and finished yet. We live in that time where everything is coming to completion. So it's very important. We don't believe that sickness comes from God, but we do recognize that he allows us to experience the brokenness in our world. Does that make sense? I think it's just quite an important distinction in our mind because otherwise we can start to think that God made me sick. And we don't believe that um, to be true. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 um, and verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Is that amazing? Follow, I love the, the fact that when you discover truth, you actually discover that it's everywhere in the Bible. Yeah? Follow God's example. How on earth can we ever follow God's example? How on earth could we ever be like God? Well, the answer's right there. As dearly loved children. The key to you being like God is to recognize that he loves you and that you are his child and that he has done everything to enable you to reflect his image as one of his children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And that is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how living in God's kingdom as children of God actually does not lower the standard at all? It actually calls for a really radical way of life because we realize our identity. You see, if we live in our old identity, then it's all about how can I gratify my sensual desires? 
whether it's eating, whether it's drinking, whether it's sleeping around, whatever it is. How can I be fulfilled? How can I be satisfied? And we limit our experience to the things of this world. But when my identity changes and I understand who I am as a child of God, then the things that drive me, the things that I long for, are defined by my identity with him. And so I'm called to leave behind that old way of life and to hunger and thirst in accordance with my true identity. And actually, far from lowering the standard and saying, oh, it's new covenant now, it's grace, and everything's easy, actually, it raises the bar for us. I mean, it said, don't let there even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not see how far you can push the boundaries. Come on, we're all human. Everybody does it. Um, You know, just as long as you're with the person that you're going to end up with. No, it says, don't let there be even a hint. A hint. So actually, you know, that's like not, okay, as long as you stop just short of going all the way. But actually, what kind of impression are you giving to people around you? What kind of testimony are you creating Don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality because you are a child of God. Because you're holy like your father is holy. It says, don't let there be any coarse joking. Don't joke about the things of this world. Don't joke about things that are offensive to God or impure or unrighteous. Don't kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, we have a bit of banter, but actually I'll just stop short of. No, it's saying these are things that that grieve your father. These are things that cause him pain when he sees people pursuing those things because he longs for them. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to set people free from those things. So why would we be joking about the things that Jesus gave his life to set us free from? Do you see how actually it places a greater demand? It causes us to be more radical. Radical means just to go to the root of something. It it causes us to go beneath the surface and just keep going through the motions and, and keeping certain rules and actually to go right to the heart of the issue. What is motivating me? What is driving me? It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. What I choose to amuse myself with? What do I choose to watch? What am I choosing to entertain myself with? Is this stuff that is honoring to God? Is this stuff that brings glory to him? Or am I saying, yeah, but hang on a minute, you need to understand, I need entertainment. I need to have a laugh. So have a laugh about the things that you died to set me free from. Matthew 5 You still with me? He loves you. He loves you with a passion. Loves you so much, he's not prepared to leave you where you were. He's calling you, calling you higher, calling you deeper, calling you into a more intimate relationship with him that you would be more like him. And me too. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
But truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, what Jesus was saying was what he'd come to do was not to lower the standard, but he'd come to fulfill the requirements of the law because the law wasn't able to produce in us the change that God wanted to see in us. So he wasn't saying, I'm coming to make it easier. He's saying, I'll fulfill the law for you. I'll meet all the requirements. And that's why certain ceremonial requirements of the law are no longer necessary for us because Jesus has fulfilled them. So, for example, circumcision is no longer an issue because Jesus has required, has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. So certain ceremonial things, certain eating, not eating certain things, all that side of things is taken care of by what Jesus has done for us in the ultimate sacrifice. But the point of that was not to say, now you can do a bit more sin. The point of that was to say, now you can sin less than people used to under the law. Now you can be more holy now you can be more righteous because people were never able to live up to what God wanted from them. But now I've done all that is necessary so that you can. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing about the difference between the old and the new covenant. The old covenant represented by the law and the new covenant represented by Jesus' blood that is shed on the cross. And it says, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved, this is 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 7, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He set you free from fear. You don't have to fear him crushing you or squashing you. He's not out to get you. He is lovingly working with you to say, I've done all that is necessary and you can be holy and you can be righteous and you can live under my rule and my reign. I've done all that was necessary to make this possible for you. And we're supposed to hunger and thirst and say, yes, that's what I want to be like. I want to run after this and you've done all that is necessary. Not, I'm going to fight with you because I really want all of this, but I suppose I'll go along with this because you'll squish me if I don't. That's why it comes back to your identity. That's why you've got to deal with who you are. Are you someone who really wants to still be this, but begrudgingly goes along with this in case you get squashed? Or have you actually been transformed and have you actually turned your back on this stuff? And have you actually embraced your identity? He loves me. 
He created me. He is for me. It's not because I fear being squished. He's never going to squish me. He's never going to tread on me. He's always going to be for me. He's always going to forgive me. He's always going to empower me. He's always going to enable me. And I'm going to run with all that I can towards that which he has birthed within me. There's greater glory. There's more power, more love, more healing, more deliverance, more holiness, more righteousness, more purity. Everything is possible to a greater extent because of what Jesus has done for us. Galatians chapter 5. From verse 13. These, by the way, were the verses I gave you that I didn't do the other day. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other so that, you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. and Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What I find interesting here is that Paul is not afraid to explain for us what life in the Spirit looks like. You see, we make the mistake sometimes when we set the Word and the Spirit in opposition to one another, and we think that they're somehow different from one another, and we say, are you a Word person or are you a Spirit person? And if we're not careful, the spirit person says, well, you know, I'm in the new covenant and I'm living by the spirit, so I don't need to, you know, keep those written regulations anymore. But in Ephesians 6, 17, we're told that the sword in that armor of God passage is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There is no kind of opposition between the word and the spirit because the word of God is living and active. The Holy Spirit is in the Word of God. And so we've got words on a page, but it's not the the ink on the paper. It's the Word of God that is powerful. and, And the Spirit is in the Word of God because the Spirit inspired and breathed out the Word of God. And so we have in our Bibles that which is in accordance with the Spirit, and tells us what life in the Spirit looks like. 
So it's not that we go back to living by a, a written code and keeping a list of rules, but the fact that the Bible is there tells me what does it look like when I live life in the Spirit. So Paul says, if you're living like this, if you're in drunkenness and you're, you know, I'm not talking about you did something wrong and you repented and you turned around and you stopped. I'm talking about if this is your way of life, then it says to you, the Bible tells you, you're not living life in the Spirit. That area of your life does not reflect life in the Spirit. The Bible's not afraid to tell us so that we can't, you know, because otherwise we'd all be saying, well, I think the Holy Spirit says that you can have five beers. And then someone else would say, well, I think the Holy Spirit says that you can do this. And I think the Holy Spirit says, he tells us. He gives us, he, make, he makes it available to us so that we can know what life in the Holy Spirit will look like. But the whole point, the whole difference between law and spirit is not that, oh, well, I've got to keep the rules. It's that my heart has changed. My heart has changed, and I'm eager. I want to. I want to please God. I'm a child of God. He loves me, and I love him, so I want to make, as we read in one of those passages, every effort to find out what pleases God. What makes him happy? What does he delight in? Because my heart is burning within me. I want to please God. And so in Romans 8, 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So living by the Spirit, we still have an obligation. There are still demands that God places upon our lives. There is still a radical life for us to live. We read... Um, in Acts 20, verse 22, yesterday, how Paul said he was compelled by the Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, compelled by the love of Christ. Christ's love, the work of the Spirit, the fact that we are children of God. We have an obligation. There's something that drives us. There's something that compels us. And if our experience is, well, I just don't, I just don't really want to run after God. I just don't, I don't feel that. I, then we have to go back to, there's something wrong with my relationship. Yeah? It should drive us back to, where's my relationship at with God? Because if he is the lover of my soul, if he's my father, if he's my friend, if he's the person with whom I have the most intimate relationship and with whom I am most in love with in my life, and what is more, if he is my Lord and my King, then that is going to make all the difference to how I live my life. Yeah? It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple. And yet most of us, if we're honest, have found it a challenge at some point in our lives, if not all the time. Yeah? But actually, we can make it complicated, but I think we have to keep reminding ourselves it is this simple. doesn't mean it's easy, but it is this simple. In Ephesians 1, um, 22 and 23, it talks um, about Jesus as head of the church. Um, and it says that he will enable us to, well, let's read it, Ephesians 1. I love this expression there in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. It says, 
God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So our calling is through this relationship with God to be God's presence in the world. We're his children. We're his children. And if you've met God's kids, it should be as good as meeting God himself. So this butterfly um, that we're being transformed into is actually all about putting all that is true about our father on display in our world. This is what he's transforming us into. And this is what this hunger, remember the very hungry caterpillar, this is what this hunger is producing in us. This is what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust him with everything else. Now, obviously, I've just picked a few examples there, but there are as many things as you can say about God and Jesus, because Jesus put all that was true about God on display in human form. So everything that we can say that God is into, that God does, that God represents, is actually he's producing in our lives because we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another so that people will see all of this in our world. And it's because we long for him and we long for his kingdom that we pursue him and we say, God, help me to live this out in our world. So give you an example um, I said I'd mention this. I'll pick generosity as one example. Yeah. Um, some time ago, we decided as a church that um, maybe we'd had a little bit of a tendency to come across as teaching tithing as a law, a little bit of the boot over the caterpillar, because um, if you don't bring your tithe into the storehouse, you're robbing God, and the devourer will get you, um, and... Um, using those Old Testament scriptures. And the, and the trouble was it could create a little bit of an impression of, I'm actually doing this because I think something bad will happen to me if I don't. And I'm scared of a bad thing happening to me, so I'll, I'll pay my tithe. Yeah? And we, we actually said, we taught all this stuff about, do you know what? God wants us to give out of generosity. God wants us to give out of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And do you know what happened? People started to give less. I've got the figures, so, um, so our, our level of giving um, actually went down. Now, you could say, well, you know, foolish leader, um, you should have just kept going um, with the legalistic approach, and that would have kept the, the money coming in. Do you know what it actually shows? It just shows where our hearts are at. Yeah? just shows us reality. I mean, it was nice because I could kid myself before um, that we had this great thing going on, but actually it just showed Actually, some of us were giving out of a sense of fear of something bad happening rather than being driven by. So the challenge for us is to say, actually, because if this is true that Jesus said, what I'm doing in you is supposed to produce something more righteous. It's unthinkable when we think about it that the new covenant would produce a less generous people than the law of the old covenant. Tithing, by the way, just for your information, was given before the law. Um, Abraham, before the law was given, gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was, um, we believe, um, a representative of Jesus, because Jesus is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So interestingly enough, it's not even a law thing. 
But of course, it was enshrined in the law, and everyone had to tithe under the law. And so people have said, well, I don't have to do that anymore because I'm not under law anymore. Praise God. What he's done is he said, it's okay, you can be less generous now. It doesn't make sense, does it? Because we're people who have been changed in our hearts. And our desire, so actually, we should be exceeding the 10% of the old covenant. We should be going beyond. So if a tithe is 10%, we're like, no, we bring our tithes and our offerings we give out of a, a, a generous and committed heart because we long to be generous. Now, generosity, of course, is not just bringing your money to the church, but it's being generous with one another. So it's, yes, it's meeting the needs that we have together as the people of the church, but it's also giving to others who are in need around us. But it's a heart that says, I want to express something of who God is, because God is generous. And I need you to be generous, not because I'm worried that I won't get paid. Okay, so let's just call that for what it is so that it doesn't have any power in this place. Okay, yes, I recognize I get paid out of the giving of people in the church, but I'm not on a percentage. Um, do you know what? It's not because of that. You can believe me or not, but it's not because of that that I want you to be generous. I want you to be generous because you need to be generous. Because it's God's call upon your life. It's a discipleship issue. You need to be generous because God wants to work that in you so that you reflect his nature in this world. So that you look like him. So that you're like your father. And so what needs to drive you to be generous is not because Richard had a go at us or he was watching, or he somehow found out what people were putting into the offering basket, what drives you needs to be, my father has delivered me from a self-centered life. My father has, has recreated me and restored me into sonship, to be a son, to be a daughter, to look like him. And I want to be generous. I want to be generous because that's who I am. Or take holiness. Sexual purity, referred to it earlier. What we watch, not even a hint of immorality. I could be asking the question, well, this is hard, all this stuff, and so what's the most I can get away with? What's, what, what's the most that's allowed? When do I know that I've crossed the line and I'll just, I'll just kind of try and just stay the right side of the line? Or is my heart saying, I want to be as pure as I can be? I want to be as holy as I can be. I want to honor God. And so I'll go to the Holy Spirit and I'll say, what is it that you want me to do? Where do you want me to put the boundaries in place? And we're not being legalistic and we're not giving you a rule sheet and a checklist and, and there'll be variation and people will hear the Holy Spirit of God slightly differently. But you know what? If we're all actually following the Holy Spirit, it won't look like right up to the line. It'll look like... You know, someone gave the analogy once of, uh, uh, of an old lady who lived at the top of a mountain um, and um, there was a windy road going up the side of the mountain to a house and she was interviewing people um, to come and be her driver because she couldn't drive. Uh, and so she interviewed the first person and, and how will you get me to the top of the mountain? And he said, you know what, I'm such a great driver. I can just drive up that mountain so fast. I'll get you home really fast and, you know, it'd be great. And the second one came along and he'd heard that and he was like, I can get you up there fast, but you know what, I can just, I can go around the bend so fast. I can get so close to the edge, but I can get right up to the edge, but I never go off the edge and I get all the way to the top of the mountain. The third one came along. He said, you know what? I'm going to go so slow, and I'm going to hug so close to the edge of the mountain. I'm not getting anywhere near the edge. Which one do you think got the job? It's not about how close can I go, how close to the wind can I sail, how, how, how much can I get away with. It's the Holy Spirit. 
How can I honor you the most? How can I please you the most? Because something's changed in my heart. It all comes back to the heart. It all comes back to your relationship with your father and your identity as being loved. Think about love. Will we do what is reasonable? Will we do what is expected because people are watching and to get on in the church, you have to be humble and you have to be servant and you, so, so we'll, you know, we'll do the, we'll be the one that gets the hoover when it's time to clear up the chalet because, you know, we, yeah, I suppose better serve. Will, will we do what we have to do? Um, that's no comment on anyone who did the hoovering. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Will we do what we have to do because we ought to? Or will we allow our hearts to be totally changed? And when we realize that we're doing something resentfully or because we ought to or because someone is watching, will we go to God and say, work in my heart, Lord, because I so long, I so long to be someone who genuinely loves. I so long to be someone who is genuinely selfless. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to deliver me from my former way of life. What I am powerless to kill off in myself, you did at the cross. Yeah? Because you can't put to death things without him having died for you. So when he says put to death, therefore, the former way of life, it's actually to embrace what Jesus has done at the cross. He's made it possible. So will you go to him and say, God, I just long. I want to up the bar. I want to love like I've never loved before. I want to love people around me sacrificially and um, selflessly. This is the goal. Um, we could summarize living like this as this. We're still here because Jesus has sent us into the world in the same way that the Father sent him to announce to people the good news that the king has come and that people can receive that king into their lives, that they can be a part of his kingdom, that they can be heirs of the kingdom, that they can be, isn't that incredible? You are an heir of the kingdom. You are a prince. You are a princess in the kingdom of God. This is who you are. That You could be with him right now, but Jesus decided to send you into the world. And you are here because Jesus sent you. You're here to put the gospel on display. You're here to announce the gospel. You're here to live the gospel. You're here to share the gospel, to show people what love looks like, what generosity looks like to show people what holiness looks like. And they look at you and they say, they see a different way of living is possible. How can you live like that? And you tell them, because God showed me how he felt about me and the relationship that he wanted with me. And he called me to leave behind my old way of life that was outside of a relationship with him. And he called me to live under his lordship in a wonderful, intimate relationship with him where he is both my lover and my king. This is the goal, that we would be loved, lovers, loving others. Amen.